Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh, I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Thirteen years, that's how long we're going to have to wait to hear any admissions of guilt arising out of events in Manchester City's dressing room yesterday at Old Trafford, by which stage you would imagine nobody would really care anymore. Hello folks, you're very welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Football Podcast, hope you had a nice weekend. Hi Ken, hi Kieran. Hi Owen, how are you? Hello Owen. The Battle of the Buffet seems to be the precedent everybody is using for yesterday's shenanigans. Mm. It was only a couple of months ago that Cesc Fabregas finally admitted to being the culprit there, throwing a slice of pizza into Alex Ferguson's mush after that Premier League game, also at Old Trafford back in October 2004. He made the not terribly shocking admission on Sky One's League of Their Own. All of a sudden I heard noises and I thought, what's happening? So I go out with my slice of pizza and I saw Saul Campbell, Rio Ferdinand, Martin Keown, everyone pushing each other. Martin Keown had actually left Arsenal by that stage but <laughs> the, the, the mind plays tricks okay I was like I want to get in but I don't know how to and I threw pew just threw it once I saw it was hitting like who it was hitting which I didn't mean this is the verbatim transcript I apologise Sir Alex really I did not mean to do that now reports have suggested that yesterday's incident was even more serious than what happened back in 2004 more on. serious than a night of the realm ending up with pepperoni slices and chilli oil dripping down his face what, was somebody murdered, Ken? What happened yesterday? Well, it's more serious, Owen, in that uh, there's, you know, reports are indicating that Arteta got injured, um, I mean, cut, uh, which is more serious than simply the injured dignity that Sir Alex Ferguson suffered with the pizza on his face. Depends how serious the cut is. I really wouldn't want to get a, fe- a pizza. Owen, ser- I want to hear, what, I'm sorry, but what are you talking about? It's say I threw something at you, mm-hmm. it hit you in the head and cut your cut your head. Yeah, it, it depends on the gravity of the cut. Are we talking about just a tiny little nick? <laughs> this is hilarious. This is absolutely hilarious. You're claiming that if it, if it wasn't a big enough cut, you wouldn't mind. Did I, I say, oh, did I, did I, did I, did I, say I wouldn't this. mind or did I say I'd rather that than a pipe and hot pizza thrown on my face? I can tell everyone swear. listening to this that if I did this to Owen McDevitt... I'd be hearing about it for a long, longer than 13 years. I'm certainly. concerned that after the Stephen Erdy story from recent mm. weeks that this, this may end up happening, Ken, so let's not I'm, keep I'm, this... Yeah. I'm, also, oh. I'm also concerned that, uh, you know, 
Ken still hasn't forgiven me for the you know the tripping. But why are we talking about this utter bollocks? Well, I got to start the show somehow. What's what's wrong with you? Well, that is that is true, but it is nonsense. (laughs) You got to get the ball rolling, Ken. We can move away from this at some point. Don't worry. We we, we, we could just start with the you know the final score. (laughs) Just do it straight like a newspaper report. I I think I know what Ken's coming from here. Two. (laughs) Just United one. We are. I'm being duped by. We're playing into the hands Mourinho. of the Portuguese yeah. Paddy Burns. Mm. You know, he wanted a ruckus. He got a ruckus, <laughs> and now here we are talking about it instead of the the way in which his team were beaten. Yeah, solidly we should, beaten. We should really have started by talking with the succession of throws uh, near in the far corner of Old Trafford, which will probably go down as the most demeaning and humiliating two minutes in the history of the Oh, Manchester, you mean Manchester at the United end when Manchester City club. continued to kick balls off Manchester, City, Manchester United defenders and win throw-ins? That is literally what I have at the top of my list there. <laughs> that is literally what I have. Well, hold on. Hold on. Hold, hold on to that one for a second, Ken, because we have got a ton of great stuff coming up throughout this week from our end-of-year shows at the Liberty Hall. We had an unbelievable amount of fun over the last couple of days. You're going to be hearing our The Gang's All Here recordings on the World Service and seeing loads of footage from what was what were an incredible couple of nights. Say hello to our listeners, everybody! Great job! Hey, hey, The Gang's All Here We're going to swing as said when he got the Mayweather fight, which I don't even consider a boxing match, it was a freak show. I said this is an absolute disaster. Because if you go and it's the old cliche and it's sad, if you give a guy who comes from nothing that much money, surround him with everybody saying everything you do is okay, it doesn't end well. I think give anybody that I don't know if it's got anything to do with what you start out with. Also, he, come from nothing. he comes from a four bedroom house in Lucan. <laughs> Yeah, McGregor was among the subjects over the two shows. Thanks to everyone who came. It was brilliant to see our World Service, a portion of our World Service family in the flesh. And also thanks to O'Hara's Beers, Penguin Original Clothing, for their support, as well as Aer Lingus, who looked after US Murph. And boy, Murph, did US Murph light it up Mm. on and off air. He looked after us right and proper, Owen. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I mean, his uh, tweets from 38,000 feet uh, above the Atlantic Ocean were extraordinarily detailed considering I knew just how late he'd stayed in the pub on Friday night into Saturday morning. He flew on Saturday. Um, right down to the captain of the ship finding his phone for him down the back of his business class seat. So, uh, yeah, US Murph had a had a whale of a time. And I know, I mean, well, I haven't been in touch with him today, but I do know that he was coaching his son's basketball team yesterday mm-hmm. uh, less than 24 hours after having landed. So... The man is an utter machine, and there's no two ways about it. Well, yeah, only on behalf of our World Service members. He he, he needs to socialise. He needs to put the face out there. Mm. It's not that he's it's not that he's enjoying himself while he's in Ireland. Hell no. Yeah, yeah. Hell no. I mean, uh, that, that's the last thing on his mind. He just has to grit, uh, grit his teeth and get through it. It was great to meet so many of our World Service members. If you're not part of the family yet and you want to hear what went down, setincaptains.com, five or a month plus fat, do what you got to do. Now, Ken, report on sport, please. Yeah, I was saying I had to, I had those time minutes of time wasting down. It's the most spellbinding performance of time wasting I think I've ever seen. Um, it kind of led me to think, God, like, is this an area where you actually have to be a world class player as well? I mean, I hadn't actually thought that being a world class time waster 
was kind of of a piece with being a world class footballer. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Hendrick is very good at time wasting, but that's more in a you know openly trolling, you know <laughs> breaking the rules of the game, the spirit of the game, yeah, uh, kind of way. I'm getting I'm injury, limping off. guard as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was within the rules of the game. Nothing they could do about it, and just spectacular. Um, intelligent, creative players—they know how to do this," said Jose Mourinho admiringly. Uh, this is pretty much the only thing he admired about Man City's uh, performance, uh, <laughs> which he attributed their victory to the referee. I feel sorry for Michael Oliver," said Mourinho, which I suppose is a way of speaking about the referee and mentioning his name and ensuring that he's part of the, you know, post post match discussion without insulting him in a way that can be charged. Mm. I feel sorry for Michael Oliver, was what he said. That is that is concern trolling, wasn't it? I think that's that's what that amounts to. Um, the goal's disgraceful. Uh, <laughs> when you when you play Manchester City, you expect Manchester City to score great goals, not to score two disgraceful goals. Uh, the last goals you expect to concede against such a quality team, two very bad goals uh, with rebounds and incredible... Incredibly lucky or unlucky, depending on your perspective. Um, so unimpressed, apart from by what they did at the end, which was really, you know, I mean, Sterling bracing himself, holding off players, getting fouled, winning corners. Then Bernardo Silva, Bernardo Silva running into the penalty area with the ball, then turning around and running back to the corner flag. Uh, then Kevin De Bruyne. Um, a sequence of booting the ball off. Well, S- Silva first, then De Bruyne, and then De Bruyne tried it again, but this time he missed. <laughs> um, well, this this all happening directly under the Manchester City fans who were who were uh, cheering uh, every such moment. Um, I wondered was was it actually part of their plan for the last few minutes? I mean, it was it's clearly something they were doing. It's not the kind of thing I think that Guardiola would would usually say was a big part of how his teams approach the game that's usually not part of it but maybe in the last few minutes of the game away to Manchester United maybe then that's the point to to bring it out I mean you've got an element of the biter bit there which I don't know if it, if it, if it appealed to Guardiola I certainly thought that De Bruyne's last effort was a little bit much at that point he maybe could have tried to play a bit of football and in fact he might have suffered for once it was a rare lack of composure by De Bruyne because if he had just taken an extra touch then I would imagine he would have had a Manchester United player charging through him well, and he, giving away a free kick yeah I mean there's that Ashley Young was there hopping mad you know the, it, it, it is very provocative especially with the fans all cheering and taunting directly above um, very frustrating, very provocative, and there is a sort of an uh, unwritten. I mean, it isn't. It's an unwritten rule. It's a rule that doesn't exist, but it is a rule that a lot of people feel as though does exist. Which is that a player who is doing that, all bets are off. You know what I mean? That that if you if you do want to kick a player who's doing that off the pitch, then there is, a, as I said, an unwritten rule mm-hmm. that entitles you to do that. One of the Manchester United players said that there was a foul on Sterling. I think in the middle of it all. But, um, actually, got a yellow card for like hacking at Raheem Sterling. Was 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 his booking actually yeah. part of that? Yes, he, he he couldn't really he couldn't go again. Yeah, you know that would have been a real mad dog Pepe type moment. <laughs> uh, and just when he's just when he's enjoying a good run in the team and a good run of form. But you know, you mentioned the brawl. Um, I'm, the FA are, are, are seeking for seeking the observations of both clubs. Um, the penalty was obviously how Jose Mourinho explained what had happened. 
wasn't a penalty. This is the the one and under Herrera. Herrera. I mean, it was quite funny. He 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 made his leg rigid to such an extent that when he fell over, his leg was still rigid. Did you see? Uh, he, mm. His foot was kind of his. He uh, planted it so deeply into the turf in the when, hope that someone would kick it. When he when he quite rigidly brought it forward off the turf and sort of fell forward, his foot was still in that unnatural position mm. that he that he stiffened his leg in uh, in order to try to draw the penalty from Otamendi. Uh, so clearly there was no penalty. The problem here, uh, and, and as Guardiola pointed out, the same thing was said after the game last year when, when Manchester City won at Old Trafford. It was again then, then it was the referee's fault. He said, Mourinho has talked about the referee before the game. Last year when we beat them, it was the referee. Today it's the referee. You know, it's always the same story. Last year, if you remember, maybe Mourinho had a bit more of a solid case last year because that, that was when Claudio Bravo chopped Wayne Rooney down and he, he remember he yeah. miscontrolled oh, yeah, the ball yeah, yeah, yeah. then ran out and and kind of leveled Rooney in the process of trying to uh, get rid of the ball yesterday's one I was watching the match in a pub and most of the people there seemed to be supporting Manchester United mm-hmm. and there were muted at best claims for a penalty from the United fans in the boozer mm. I mean even I, after I a mean, couple of replays yeah I was going to say say like I'm sure the the claims were utterly muted once there were replays shown but I mean, there, there were a couple of hard shows still saying, even the even uh, directly contradicting the evidence of their own eyes to say that that might have been a penalty. I mean, it just blatantly wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I think the, probably the, the closest thing to a penalty in the match was was Herrera hauling down Otamendi. But Herrera, I think, did did quite well there in terms of if you if you are going to commit a foul like that, make sure you do it when lots of stuff is happening around you, and usually you get away with that. And he did, you know. You often, uh, I mean, it's it's seldom that you will see that. I mean, an example of the of the opposite case would would have been the Brighton Liverpool game the other week when Jordan Henderson was gave, gave away a penalty for pushing Shane Duffy in the area. But the thing is that all eyes in the stadium were on Shane Duffy at that point. He was up for the corner kick, and he was the kind of obviously the player Brighton were going to try to find. So everyone was watching, and when Henderson pushed him, the referee was watching as well. And that's the, so Herrera got away with that one. Um, but Mourinho said, look, it's like last season. It's exactly the same. You can speak about anything you want. You can bring any football theory. You can bring the stats, the ball possession. You can bring everything you want. But like last season, it's a huge penalty in a crucial moment of the game. So, obviously, the uh, the stats, the ball possession, and all that is in Manchester City's favour, as you would expect, given the way in which anybody with eyes could see that they had dominated the match. Um, it is true that sometimes you get... Uh, ball to bounce your way sometimes it bounces their way sometimes it bounces your way sometimes the referee gives a penalty sometimes he doesn't but you know all those things being equal and let's assume they're going to even out I mean let's assume there's no corruption no conspiracy I mean you refer to the football gods who look after Manchester City they get protected and all this kind of you know all this kind of stuff um if we assume that Mourinho is, is is wrong about that, then you do have to try to find a way to actually tilt the, all the stuff in between, the football part, in your favour as well. And this is something Manchester United can't do. They can't do it in any whenever they come up against a good team. The coach does not know how to do it. He, he can't do it. If he could, they'd be doing it. I mean, it's I, I don't know how many more times this needs to happen. And it's not going to change. It's not going to be any different. I mean, you could say, well, if Paul Pogba had changed, if Paul Pogba had played, you know, maybe, and so on. Paul Pogba is, in my opinion, Manchester United's best player. 
and to miss your best player is, is bad. You know, I mean, if, if Kevin De Bruyne uh, take a couple of players out of the Manchester City team, they're not going to be quite so special. That's true. I mean, these things happen. But Paul Pogba did play in, this, in the game last year that they lost to Man City. You know, that, he actually was was very uh, heavily criticised for his performance in that game, where he he appeared to have no notion of where he was supposed to be on the field. You know, went wandering around, left left holes in the in the midfield. You know, and maybe it would have been better if he'd been there. Maybe he did play against Arsenal last week when they mm, again were completely dominated. You know, had he had less, than, had twenty five percent of the ball against Arsenal. You know, I mean, he did. He created the goals. He's just the kind of quality he has. But it's not as though having Pogba there will allow you to establish control. I mean, we saw this against Arsenal. He's not really going to do that. He what he can do is help you make the chances that do come your way count because he's just got he can put the ball where he wants it to go. Um, yeah, obviously they're better with him than without him. But the idea that the game would have been different, the game would have been the same. The game just would have been the same, and this is the way it is when they when they play. And this is the what we have here is like uh, it's almost like someone set up an experiment. It's like okay, Jose, we've heard a lot about this. We've heard a lot of the, the, there have been a few uh, posing quotes over the years. Poets don't win titles. This kind of macho talk, you know, like some kind of Raymond Chandler, you know, poets. There's no poets on these mean streets. Mm. You know, this kind of hard boiled football yeah. management. Yeah, from the 1950s. Yeah, right. Or the 19 take that jacket, the 30s off, or whatever. Get, get a trench coat on you. This, I mean, poet so intense. Well, you know, he's he's running away with it. Like Guardiola's running away with this, and Guardiola took took the moment to to say, look, you know, he, he said it. He said it every time they put a microphone in front of him. He's like, people say we couldn't do this here. Well, we can. It's not quite the the rainy night in Stoke, but it's a snowy day at. Uh, Old Trafford, the home of a snowy night uh, with a lot of wind at the home of Manchester United who under Jose Mourinho are the closest thing to the Stoke that they, that used to exist under Tony Pulis when Andy Gray made that remark about can't, could Barcelona do it, could Messi really do it well this is like, this is exactly the conditions he's talking about against the only other team in the league that has the kind of resources that City have been able to throw at their team over the last couple of years, the only other team that have, that have done that the only team whose players are actually paid more than their players, you know what I mean the, a team that, that, has, that has its pick of the world's players in the same way that Manchester City do could have built a team like Manchester City have, but haven't because they have got a manager who can't can't do it, and this is this is uh, I think becoming um, becoming quite obvious. It's really the, the, the most blinkered of Manchester United supporters who, who can't see this. There is a remorselessness to this Manchester City team this season, which we weren't sure was going to be there. If you just go back to the summer, City have been a funny team over the last decade or whatever amount of amount of years. There's been there's been money in there, a, a title challenging season. Maybe a title-winning season can is often followed by one. They've never turned into this sort of machine no. in the way that some other clubs have over the years. And Guardiola's first season followed that kind of a script. They were flaky enough, whereas now they just look like killers mm. in these massive games. They're beating all the other top teams, and they're being flat-track bullies as well, which is a good combination. So aside from all the, you know, the, the this idea of, of poets, whatever. Well, this this guy's a poet with a bit of an edge to him. Guardiola, he has his teams fired up. Oh, it's like you know, it's just it's 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 just sort of sneering tone, but it's it's completely ignorant of the reality. The reality is this team is much better. You know the the idea that the referee gave this away 
No, the referee is just something he's saying. I think, I think I think you're falling for what I what I'm falling for by talking about the post match. Yeah, <laughs> post match. So that's just Go, something the, the, he wants the, people going, to bang going on about. Going in to, to to complain about the celebrations. This this is literally the man who has done more obnoxious <laughs> celebrations Cheap shot in the stadium than anyone else. I mean, if you think about the high points of his career, you're thinking Porto against Man United when he ran down the touchline. You think in Inter against Barcelona, where they had to turn the sprinklers on, the 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 Chelsea against Liverpool. Chelsea didn't win anything that day. They just stopped Liverpool, and that was when he ran down, you know, beating his chest. You know, he he uh, he knows how to celebrate when he when things go his way. And I can't imagine in the dressing rooms if Didier Drogba and these other big characters, John Terry, are pumping the music. Mourinho said, oh, lads, turn that down. Will you show yeah. a bit of respect Some there? Respect, this is please. Liverpool. This is Anfield that we're at yeah. here. He did it against Conte as well. You know, when Chelsea beat them 4-0, it was, oh, show more respect. You don't, don't behave like that. You know, it's, it's what Conte was kind of trying to get the crowd going. He was, he was gesticulating to the crowd, and Mourinho thought, nah, you can't do that. But, you yeah, know, I mean, it's like, the kind of thing that he would do. The fact of the matter is, that, uh, Bernie Rone was writing in The Guardian today, 42 massive, big, hoofed, swirling long deliveries from the United defence or goalkeeper in the opening hour to their front three. Mm. Like, that is the only thing that many United fans and football fans generally should be talking about from that game yesterday. I mean, it was just, like, it was ridiculous. It was pathetic to watch. Mm. Yeah. And this is all this is all they're going to get, you know, against, against a team like Manchester City uh, or, you know, any of the other big teams. This is all that's that's going to happen. And it's and it is possible to win games that way. I mean, they they beat Tottenham, you know, they beat Tottenham, they beat Arsenal. It's possible to win these matches, but you won't win them consistently, and you won't win the title. Not when there's a team like this also in the mix. I mean, you know, there was some some. Uh, this is a bit of nerd nonsense for you now. Alan. I love the nerd nonsense game. But uh, John uh, Byrne Murdoch at the uh, Financial Times does some good uh, statistical analysis of football, and he just. You know, he's uh, looking at every club, every season's performance in the top five leagues in Europe since uh, the year 2000. Um, so every every team that's played in, in England, Spain, Italy, Germany, and France since the year 2000. And you take the, after 15 matches, which is where they are now in the uh, Premier League, the um, you plot basically the number of shots they have, against the number of shots they concede. And what you find is that all the teams in the bottom right-hand corner of this graph, and this is uh, uh, the x-axis, the shots taken per game, the further right you go, the more shots you take. And then from on the y-axis, you've got uh, shots faced per game, and the further down you go, the fewer shots it is. So the place you want to be is in the bottom right corner. That's the teams that have taken the most shots while also conceding the fewest. They're all the Guardiola teams are down there. You know, Barcelona 08, 09 is, is the best. The best combination to Barca, Bayern 15, 16, Bayern 14, 15, City 17, 18, Bayern 13, 14, City 16. They're all down there in that little corner. It's remarkable. I mean, because obviously the, the big cluster is sort of in the middle of the graph. Um, you know, this is for everybody who says, "Oh, this doesn't, this doesn't work." Oh, I'm skeptical about this. Uh, like the evidence is there. You know, what more do you need? Like, if the titles aren't enough, you know, the football is enough. The fact that you've seen, like, he, he was asked, "Oh, have you dominated a game as much as you have in the first half before?" This is yesterday. He said, "Well, yeah." 
I mean, I, I thought, yeah, way more. They, they, they actually were a bit sloppy compared to the way they often yeah. are because of the conditions, I guess. Um, he said, well, there's the, the 2011 final, probably um, probably there was 25 minutes in there. The Champions League final against Manchester, also against Manchester United, which were the best moments of my career. But th- this is like a, a lot of the people left that stadium going, I've never seen, that's the best I've ever seen. You know, I've been, I've been going to these matches for 60 years. I've never seen anything. You know what I mean? So, uh, so I don't know. I think a bit of respect might be in order. I mean, he, he, Mourinho was talking about the lack of respect of the celebrations. A little bit of respect might be in order for somebody who's really. I think he's shown the way. I think he's getting plenty of respect. Maybe just not from the opposing dressing room yesterday, but I think most people are warming to the idea that Pep has something about him. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. It's very difficult to get a chance against this team now. He's still got Otamendi at the back, and like Delph is the left back. You saw this goal that Manchester United scored, which is like a hopeful diagonal ball. Otamendi misses it, and Delph thinks Otamendi's going to get it, and then he misses it as well. And Rashford puts it away nicely. You can score against him, it's possible. You just won't get many chances. You really won't. It's very difficult to play through them. I mean, the only thing you can say in Mourinho's defense is that he obviously felt his team couldn't couldn't live with them. You know, if I try, if I try and play. If, if I try and sort of push up, have the guys press high, push up behind them, they're just going to kill us. You know, Sterling, you saw you saw that happening in the last few minutes when Sterling had, like, it seemed it seemed like, uh, I don't know how many there were, probably only two or three moments when the, he got the ball and he's dribbling through and you're thinking they're, they're going to score here. They, they missed a couple of those chances to really roll up the scoreline at the end. But, but um, Mourinho evidently felt that if his team was any more proactive or aggressive in the game that would have been happening throughout you know he wasn't he wasn't going to back them he is i suppose maybe pessimist realist you know maybe realist on the side of pessimism but i do feel as though the amount of money manchester united spend the the resources they've got the tradition they've got all of the things that they have going for them they can do better than this what about the other derby game yesterday very similar game in some ways uh in that the sam allardyce side uh, had quite a similar approach, particularly in the first half. Almost to the point, almost to the point of this is absurd. You know, the ball coming to Jordan. Uh, every time Jordan Pickford got the ball, he booted it to the edge of the Liverpool penalty area, and it where it. But the thing is that the player he was booting it at was Nias. You know, so it was like Nias wasn't winning any of these balls, and it, and it, so it just didn't seem to make any sense. It, it was like a purely. It didn't have any sense as an offensive tactic because you're, you're very unlikely to, to get the ball up there after one of these kickouts. But what Allardyce is evidently saying was, I don't think our team can... I don't want our team... I don't want the ball to be in our half. I don't want us to have the ball in our half. Actually, the Everton having the ball in their half was what resulted in... Was it the Mane, um, the Mane chance when he didn't pass? Right. Which was a bizarre moment. You know, what's Mane thinking here? You saw Mane's reaction afterwards. What kind of a smile is that? Is that a guilty smile or is that an Ashok's, there'll be another one of those along in a minute kind of a smile? Thought uh, answer, answer B there. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminded me a bit. Remember Troy Deeney? Troy Deeney talking about Mesut Ozil a, few, a, a while back and 
the, the look that he the look that Oswald had in his face. I'll get another one of these in a couple of minutes. And Deany, and it really made Deany angry. And you could see the way Mane reacted to that. And it was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I know I should have passed that book. Come on. Like Shane Long, the other day. Do you remember Shane Long had a shot? Uh, someone was shouting at him. And he's like, you have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Southampton were winning that one as well. Um, but I think by more by more goals. That was the one that said that, that was, wasn't that against Everton actually. It was the one where where Stephen Davis made it five nil with. Or, I think that was a five one. Sigurdsson scored for Everton, but it was like it was a proper in that situation with a few minutes to go and you're already winning by three clear goals. Then all right, but. You know the chance. This is a chance to kill the game. You've got three unmarked players to square to. You have to. You have to pass it. Um, but you know, in the end, uh, Liverpool. It, it, you you'll never see such a one-sided Merseyside derby because the Allardyce team, Everton, literally didn't attempt to play because the, it was as though he thought if we tried to engage in a football match, like give the ball to one of our defenders and try to play through. To try to play up the pitch that's too risky for us to try we can't even do that so we'll kick the ball along and the Everton players you could see getting frustrated like because players like Sigurdsson and, and Rooney are being starved of any chance to do anything you know they, they can't they can't get the, the no one is going to give them the ball and it's so frustrating to be to, to sort of be walking around in the field to feel as though you can't actually get involved in this game at all and being completely starved of any chance to make any impact but Given enough time, something eventually is going to fall your way. And this, it fell to Rooney. Rooney was a pass through to Lovren, or not, rather, through to Calvert Lewin. And Lovren, remember the, the principle, under Herrera principle. If you're going to foul someone in the box, do it when there's a lot of stuff going on. Don't do it when it's the. It's like Klopp said. Uh, Klopp, Klopp said, we can, we'll, we'll hear a bit of Klopp now in a minute because I don't think this was Jurgen Klopp's finest there. But Klopp said something like, you know, uh, they didn't even, they weren't even in a box. They didn't have a shot. You know, they didn't have a, they didn't have a counter attack. You know, as though maybe they should be deducted half a goal or something for not having done any of these things. But the whole point is that this was, this was the first time that Everton, that, that the ball had been with an Everton player in the box, and this is the moment that Lovren chooses. To push him, and he clearly did. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a, there was a couple of angles on it. One of the angles is sort of from behind the the byline, or behind you know, sort of to the right of the Liverpool goal. And from this angle, you can you can see Lewin, Calvert Lewin does sort of go into the contact. Exactly, what what else is he going to do? All he can hope to do really is get a penalty. But the point the point is that Lovren very clearly pushes him with his left hand in the back. Why he does it, only he knows. You know that a defender, an attacker is going to look for contact anyway, even when there, when there is none. Absolutely, it's so, it's so de- def- clear. Definitely, don't give that person the option of. And I, I know this players shouldn't be making the most out of it, but he didn't even have to do anything to make the most of it. He was pushed. If you if you feel a hand pushing you over, you're not going to try too hard to stay up. The hand of salvation pushing into your back. You know, this is the the golden lot, national lottery hand reaching down from the sky, pushing you over in the box. This is, this is amazing. You know, we're gonna. Cavalier, you saw his reaction when he got up. Oh yes, and I mean, it was it was it was clearly a penalty. But Lovred's reaction afterwards was to blame the referee. You know, maybe a bit of personal responsibility here. It's, it's painful to to accept, but you know, everyone saw what happened. Jurgen Klopp didn't seem willing to accept it either. And and his uh, his uh, interview afterwards with Sky. Um, with Patrick Davison from Sky is really embarrassing. Have a listen to this. 
For you, 100% not a penalty, or does Dejan Lovren, no does he not need to make no, the decision? No, no, it's not a case of blaming him. No, does he not need to make the challenge, though? He doesn't make a challenge. Calvert Lewin makes a step in his thing, but there's, 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 and there's hands on the back. The hand is like this on the back. You saw it. If you think it's a penalty, then do it. Say it. Say it. It's a penalty in your opinion. It's a penalty in your opinion. Okay. If you want my it, my opinion, doesn't matter. I would say soft. My, obviously, my opinion doesn't matter as well. So, but well, of course, your opinion you, matters. Does it change anything? No, but we can't me. change Do anything in the interview, can we? Say so far, it's a penalty or not? I think it's soft, but I think it is a penalty. <laughs> so then we can stop the interview because I only want to talk to people who have a little bit of understanding of football. Sorry, I'm really. I, I know you're angry, but there are people who played a lot of football matches in our studio who also think it's a penalty. Oh, then sorry, I'm wrong. You're all right. Yeah, and I'll take I, your I didn't say that. No problem. Yes, that's what you said. No, I didn't when say you were wrong. When all the people. Ah, when all the other people are right, then I must be wrong, right? No, just because. Can we isn't isn't it a game of opinions? Do you have to fill five minutes or what? Or why do we talk? Well, obviously, I'm not in a mood to answer your question. Okay. And you don't have better answer, uh, questions, do you? I've got one more. I don't think you're going to like it. Six changes today. You also took Salah off, one nil up. Do you think those changes had any effect on the that's result? My, that's my job. That's my I job. understand that. No, 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 that's my job, that I make decisions before I know they are right. And afterwards, it's your job to say I'm not right. No problem with that. Sorry for all the rest I said before. No, thanks for your time. Well, um, there's Jürgen Klopp uh, taking it out, kicking kick the cat, I suppose. That's what he's doing there. I mean, that's it's just really poor. I mean, it, it, number one, he's wrong. It was a penalty. You know, and, and it's... Everyone, everyone watching it. I mean, I, did you did you watch it live? No, at the interview I saw it after the event. No, no, I mean the penalty. It's at the. Oh the yeah, game. yeah, yeah. So what? What did you think? You thought that's uh, a penalty. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah every, of course. You, you're you're like there's a there's a penalty, and then the referees. Yeah, of course. And I, I I don't really see the point of 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 wailing and squealing about it, and then patronizing this guy. You know. Well, his comment didn't make that much sense. So I, I want to speak to someone. So, I want to speak to someone with an understanding of football. I don't know. I don't know. But it, like, yeah, the interviewer said, "I think it was soft, but I think it's a penalty." I don't. I never understand that personally. It's it's either a penalty or it's not. I don't think it was soft. I think he could have just gone. I think anyway. That's you're not expecting as an interviewer to necessarily putting your opinion across. And he held his nerve quite well in the face of some hostility. And Patrick Davison himself seems to feel that there was no major issues there. He says, thanks for the messages, most of them about Klopp interview. Angry and upset rather than rude or unpleasant, I thought. Absolutely no problem with that. Always rather interview a manager who's honest. Yeah, well, I just, I don't think it makes Klopp look particularly good. Like, it's, I think no. it would make, you know, this kind of, like, Len sarcasm, you know, meanness, just, like, it's not, it's not a great look, you know? Because mm. um, the fact is, and the, and the questions then about the lineup. The thing, I mean, the point that Klopp would make and was trying to make is that they dominated the games to such an extent that, that there was no issue with the lineup, really. But wasn't there, though? I mean, you, you, when you remember, we, we were speaking about this a couple of um, maybe two weeks ago the fact that Klopp was um, way out ahead of any other manager in terms of the uh, number of changes that he made to his team in the league like 20 changes ahead of the, the next highest team, which was Everton, after. 14 or 15 matches and this was twi more than twice as many changes he had made more than twice as many changes this year than at the same point last year in the league so it's almost like what he's doing is going right okay i see what happened last season or i see one of the problems we had last season was 
fatigue. My team played the same team very consistently. In January, the team completely collapsed. If you remember, they had a total, they had like a 10 or 11 match run of complete, uh, total disaster. Injuries, tired players, terrible performances. So he's thinking, okay, there's obviously, and, and, and we talked to Honigstein about it, this is something that happened to Dortmund as well. You've got this style which is based on a lot of running, a lot of pressing, a lot of efforts, and it's hard for players to sustain. And it's going to be doubly hard to do that in, in a league where you don't have a winter break. In fact, you've got more games than at any other point of the year over this period when in Germany you would, you would have. So it's, it's almost though he's decided to preemptively go, this is not going to be an issue. Fatigue is never going to be an excuse for my players. Never. Because... I'm going to make six changes. Or, or you know, say, for instance, uh, against, um, I mean, the team against Spartak Moscow, they win 7-0. They get some brilliant performances. You know, the front four, brilliant. They score seven goals between them. Coutinho scores a hat trick. Sensational performance on the bench for the next game. And to leave him out of this game, I think, is always going to be risky. You know, it's one of those, oh, need the result here as well. Performance, great. Result, more important. <laughs> You know, if you leave Coutinho out, and you leave Firmino out, Firmino has such a strong uh, player and an influence on, on others, and you play Solanke, who's kind of like, it's almost, how seriously are you taking this? I mean, I know Solanke needs to get, needs to get time, but, the, or, you know, if he's ever going to become a player, he needs to play. But maybe this wasn't the game for it. Maybe they're playing Everton again in the FA Cup. Maybe that would have been a good chance for Solanke to get some It's exactly minutes. the kind of managerial selection decision that a manager makes and gets slaughtered for sometimes by supporters who would say you don't understand what this means to the club. The only point being, I would have thought, with Klopp, Klopp knows Liverpool. I think he knew Liverpool reasonably well before he even went there. And he certainly knows now that it's kind of important to beat Everton. Yeah. Whether or not that's... that, It doesn't seem to be important enough for him to put all his eggs into that basket. Well, you know, he, he, he went maybe too much. I mean, to just Coutinho's been playing so well that it's it's almost like really i mean and also there's the there's the continual stories and, and more stories over the last couple of days that oh it's it's pretty much he's 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 winding down his career here it's either maybe even a january move but if not that then almost certainly a june move so it's kind of like well while he's here let's not leave him on the bench sort of thing you know what i mean he, yeah, he should, uh, let's he should be flog on the field. him to death until he moves i like mean he, it's he's a, he's a great player people yeah. people like watching this guy you know get him get him on the field don't don't sort of leave him out for this match if you're playing west brom on wednesday maybe maybe then you could could leave him out so so he would say look the the performance justifies my decision um and in a sense in a sense that is correct like he does have to try to find a way to address this problem, which was a real problem that happened last year. Okay, I could just play the best team. My, what I see is my best team in every game. They will be exhausted, and they will, they will then fall away. So unless, I, you know, unless I'm just prepared to just charge headlong into that again, I've got to find another way of doing it. If I do this, then I can demand full-on effort from the players. I can say, you know, full-on pressing, full-on running intensity, because they can turn around to me and say, I'm tired. It's like, well, why are you tired? Oxford Chamberlain. That you is the other. Bed. You're tired from sitting. Have you have you got pins and needles in that, your feet? That is the other option you've touched on there. That is to not. It's adjust it style of play and his demands of the players. So you can still use your best players, but you're not. You're changing what the Jurgen Klopp, Klopp brand is all about. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think he's likely to do that because I think that's that's sort of how he thinks. It's it's that's just what he feels the best way to play the game is. You know, it's it's it, a lot of it is about 
trying harder than the other team or, or covering more distance or being more energetic or having more of your players around the ball at many, many, many moments in the game. And if you want to do that, you've got to move. And if you're not do if you're not playing that way, then you know maybe maybe a bit of flexibility is required there. But I think I guess this is the way. This is why he did what he did. Didn't work out, but um, and uh, not such a great weekend for them. Either. Do you want to give us uh, one more quick story from the weekend? Well, somebody who did have a very good weekend was David Moyes, whose uh, team beat Chelsea. And I mean, this is almost when you when you look at what's happening with City having won the. I mean, we say City haven't won the title. It's going to take a spectacular series of events for them not to not win the title at this point. Um, it's it's hard to imagine Manchester United or any other team making up 11 or more points on this team that clearly that seems to be better than them in, in, in every department. So you know, this, this league, the selling point of which is We've got so many great teams. It's not like these other uncompetitive leagues where Bayern or, or Paris Saint-Germain or just or Juventus, or whatever, walk away with things. It's not like that here. You know, we've got big, big teams, big managers, big personalities, and it's it, it's beginning to look as though the the, the latter two thirds almost of this Premier League season is going to be about watching those big personality, big name winner winner coaches twisting in the wind and seeing. Which one of them? Which ones of them melt down before the season ends, and which ones of them can make it all the way to the summer to regroup? I know who's going to win that league. Arsene Wenger. <laughs> I think Arsene Wenger is Arsene the strong favourite. He's got the staying power to last all the way to the end he without the, having any major meltdown. Yeah, he, he's he's definitely the, the favourite. He's he's got he's got the serenity to accept the things he can't change. Second Pochettino. Pochett- uh, well, Pochettino, you know, Pochettino... Nah, he's he's going to be okay, though. ...is a little bit... ...is is a bit uh, unsafe. I mean, it's a guy who said that he wanted to kill his players because they lost 5-0, nil or was it 5-1 to Newcastle in a game that no longer mattered at the end of the season mm. after having their hearts broken. He had no compassion. He just wanted them to die or to be dead. He couldn't speak to them for months. Like, you know, this is this is Pochettino. And, you know, they're, they're, all, they're out of the running, too. Top third... Klopp, Klopp, we Bring saw him. Forth, he can't even take it. He can't even take it when Patrick Davison asked him a question about an obvious penalty. Yeah, you know, I'm still not putting them below Mourinho or Conte, though. Well, Mourinho and Conte, I think, are yeah. two horses of a rather different breed. So, we, we've already seen Mourinho in this situation not handling it well. Um, Conte, I mean, things don't look too good there. To lose to West Ham this is not great. You see, did you see Alvaro Morata? Did you see Morata's kind of whole attitude? Where is the boy of summer? Where where's that where's that, you know, that handsome young god who was just uh who who seemed to be able to, you know, bend the whole world to his will. What's happened to him? We've got this sort of moody, like resentful looking I mean it's just where is the love? Where's the love gone here? Um, the one thing they do have to console themselves with is the Champions League. So you're going to have a lot of these boys concentrating in the Champions League. Mm. They have got the draw today. We're going to talk about it in a little while. In case you haven't heard it already, uh, Tottenham get, got Juventus. Manchester City got Basel. Um, Porto, uh, Liverpool got Porto. Manchester United got Sevilla. Um, Chelsea got Barcelona, which there was always a good chance of. Uh, Shakhtar Donetsk will play Roma. Bayern Munich will play Besiktas, which leaves Real Madrid against Paris Saint-Germain, which is uh, definitely the the biggest game there. But um, yeah, that's uh, 
that's really going to be a big focus for these English teams for the second uh, half of the season. That's a wrap for today's report on sport. 1850 715 815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Lion Lion. Five one double five one is our text number and Joe at RT.ie from wherever you are in the world. Ken, good afternoon. How are you? You saw it. What happened? I mean, I actually was abused by a Dane as well mm-hmm. the night before. Go ahead. I was I was I was having uh, dinner after the, the the you know we finished our work or whatever on Friday. Went into town. We were we were sitting in a restaurant. Uh, you were a journalist uh, and uh, myself mm-hmm. and three other journalists. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point we were. Uh, it turned out we were all looking at our phones simultaneously. Mm-hmm. We were waiting in a bill or something. Mm-hmm. And this Danish guy mm-hmm. staggered up from behind, sort of mm-hmm. suddenly leaned over the table and he goes, "Go ahead. Is there a Wi-Fi? Is there a Wi-Fi in here?" The whole thing, say, um, Ken. The whole thing is is getting more and more bizarre. You, you didn't do it, did you? Did you report that to the FAI or anything? We were like, uh, uh, actually, we we're just on the three G. Mm-hmm. Before we could finish explaining, we weren't actually on the Wi Fi. He goes, Wi Fi wankers, you're all Wi Fi wankers. Did he write because, this himself? Did he we compose? Were, sorry, did he compose this line himself? You know, uh, he all he had seen was for. I, I don't know how he knew we were Irish, but he he knew. We will talk about what what happened on the field at Old Trafford yesterday, but I want to start by asking you, Rory Smith of the New York Times, what you make of all of these stories about the uh, the behind the scenes fracas after the game. Is is it being a bit too conspiracy theorist to suggest that this maybe suits Josie Mourinho that there was something something sparked up that takes away from analysis of what happened on the pitch? It probably helps, yeah. It probably helps. That doesn't mean it was deliberately done, uh, but I'm sure he won't be furious that it happened. It, it's it's one of those things that Mourinho kind of intuitively under, understands, I think, that, that often what happens after the game, what's said, what the story t- that sort of dominates the, in this case, two or three days rather than the full week, because obviously there's, there's fixtures um, Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, he knows that that can kind of change the prism through which a defeat is seen. So I'm sure he's not furious that something happened and has happened to make its way into the press. Although he could be furious if, I mean, some of the reports that, that um, you know, Nicola Arteta actually has been injured by a, a thrown bottle. And, you know, I think in Spain, one of the radio stations has claimed it was Lukaku who threw this bottle. In which case, I mean, if, that's, if that turns out to be true, that's a major disciplinary incident and problem, surely. Yeah, it really is. And I think that it's... <laughs> You sort of think about Pizzagate and Cesc Fabregas throwing pizza at Sir Alex Ferguson. You, you kind of think that's funny, and a lot of the the sort of the dressing room fracas is a great word that you hear about. It, it's kind of handbagsy. It's not very serious. If someone's throwing a bottle at someone, then that's then that's not great, and that is something that that you presume Mourinho would have to punish Lukaku for because you can't. I mean, you can't do that in any walk of life, obviously. Um, and just because you, you happen to be a seventy-five million pound striker doesn't mean you have the right to do it. And the problem, the problem is, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, is that football is so tribalistic that there will, I'm sure, be people kind of who, if Lukaku is punished in some way, who, who would feel that it's not, it's too severe that he shouldn't be punished, and that they'll find excuses and they'll find kind of reasons that it, it was actually okay to lob a bottle at Mikel Arteta. That's if it was Lukaku who did it, which obviously is unconfirmed. Um, but yeah, there's, that, that is a kind of an order of magnitude beyond the stuff that you normally hear about. And finding out, finding out I guess, kind of how it started is quite important because the, the initial suggestion obviously was it was Mourinho going into City's dressing room to 
kind of object to their um their their celebrations, which is hypocritical at best, and is probably kind of asking for trouble almost as well because. City have a right to celebrate, and if you you know loads of press, press rooms in, in Premier League stadiums are, re- are really close to the dressing rooms, and you, you quite often hear music blaring out, and it's always terrible music. You, <laughs> you know, from the winning team's dressing room, whether that's the home dressing room or the away dressing room, it's not the sort of thing that anyone ever comments on, and it certainly doesn't seem to be the sort of thing that, that would be that would be considered unusual. It happens all of the time. That's how they celebrate. So if Mourinho has gone in uh, to kind of say, look, this is out of order, then you have to question kind of why he's done that as well. Oh, that's quite important. Yeah, I mean, I remember being in Stockholm and, and uh, Peter Bosch, then the manager of Ajax, was giving a very sad press conference after they lost the game and um, just sort of uh, lending a very pathetic air to this was the uh, the noise of Manchester United celebrations in evidently the adjoining room. <laughs> they were going absolutely crazy with little regard for his feelings. Um, but yeah, I mean, Lukaku. Okay, is, we don't know yet if his if his role in this was as central as as some sources are claiming. But he did have an absolute nightmare there, and, and is generally undergoing what appears to be a really uh, an awful confidence spiral. He's beginning to remind me of Andy Carroll at Liverpool now. I'm wondering if you think these problems he's having are, are more to do with his own limitations. I mean, this is a cruel stadium. You know, for if your touch isn't quite up to it, or the limitations of the setup in which he's being asked to perform. You know, he, he's being asked to chase balls over the top, sort of flick things on. These aren't really the sort of things that necessarily he's made his name doing. You know, is is it a case that anyone would struggle to look good in this role, or is or is Lukaku just um, you know maybe a bit short of what's required? Certainly against City. It was the system. It wasn't. I mean, the, the the mistakes for the city goals are unfortunate. I don't think that that should be taken as a um, as a kind of. It's not like that's a thing that Romelu Lukaku does. That he comes back to help out with three kits and corners and gives the opposition goals. That's not kind of what happens regularly. I did see someone on Twitter sort of say that maybe he's not worth the. That maybe it's not it's not the best idea to have Lukaku back at defensive set pieces because he's not. He's not necessarily at his best in that situation. I've not seen, I've not sort of tracked that enough to be able to express an opinion on that. But I, I think you have to just accept that in terms of the goals that that he gave, that he accidentally gave away, that's just bad luck. It's what happens. It's not something that he does a lot. Um, in terms of his attacking performance against City, I was staggered by how kind of not negative United were, but just how kind of passive and how reactive they were in terms of they didn't. There was a point after about 40 minutes when the Stretford end started chanting attack, 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 attack. And you'd noticed throughout that first half that the United fans weren't, they didn't seem happy to see how how deep their team was and also how kind of lacking in, in a plan they were on the counter-attack. There were a lot of kind of just hoofs forward from Marcos Rojo. There was, there was no kind of science to what they were trying to do. Great counter-attacking performances are totally valid and you don't have to dominate possession. And if you have a team that that wants to dominate possession, then it's great to play on the counter-attack. But you have to have some sort of plan to how that counter-attack will work. And United didn't. And I think in that situation, you're never going to get the best out of a striker. A stri- it's an impossible job for a striker to play well. But looking more long-term, Lukaku does seem to be to be a little bit bereft of confidence. His touch isn't quite, quite sure at the moment. He's maybe not making the movement. The movement's not quite what it needs to be. You, you, you don't want to write him off because he, he's only 24 and he's scored, a, he's scored a ridiculous number of goals in his career and he has been this kind of 
rising star for so long that he's clearly immensely talented and physically he's he's fantastic and I think he's a really he's a really composed finisher when he's on his game and his his movement is really intelligent. But at the moment, he's, he just seems to be kind of buckling a little bit under the, expectation, the, the pressure of expectation that he has at United. And I, to me, that's a management thing, that, that Mourinho has to manage him through this, rather than just saying, you're Romelu Lukaku, we paid a lot of money for you, go and score us some goals. So I think the, every player is entitled to a kind of a bad moment. And the question for Mourinho is, how do you get the player out of that bad moment? And from what he did on Sunday... He didn't really give him a chance to do that, and then I mean, even even then, obviously, the United could have scored. But and Lukaku himself had a couple of chances late on, but it, he wasn't he wasn't helped particularly by the way that Mourinho had set the team up. Certainly, Barney Rone made the point. He said, "I've been a fan of Mourinho and defensive football. Enjoy the clash of styles, but that first half was ridiculous. Fernandinho is not jabby. Raheem Sterling is not messy. United had the players to actually engage in a game of football. What do you think?" Well, yeah, there were two. There were two performances, two things about the performances in both of the derbies yesterday that really stood out to me, and I think it, I think it's quite important. So I was really surprised at how kind of unambitious Everton were at, at Anfield because Liverpool are vulnerable, and they're maybe not as, as vulnerable as everybody says they are, but they are without question vulnerable. And I was really surprised that Everton didn't try to didn't seem to try to exploit that at all. To the extent that I think their first. The second corner was the 78th minute and you could see the fans kind of cheering, Allardyce kind of waving everybody forward and saying, you know, this is our big opportunity. And you think, look, you, you're, it's Everton. You can't possibly be that excited because you've got a corner. And it, it, so you kind of watch that and maybe, I don't know, maybe you watch the second game with a, with, a, with a sort of lingering memory of watching the first. But United were so kind of deep and so kind of prepared to just let City come onto them and so kind of acquiescent to how City wanted to play. And it was a real surprise to watch United play like that at home against Manchester City, who are playing the best football in the league by a long way, who are the best team in the league by a long way. But equally, United aren't a team of kind of plumbers and lawyers and weekend enthusiasts. They're, they're all international. They're all highly talented footballers. And as Barney said, City do, you know, they do have players who, who you look at and think, you know, he's a good player, but he's not great. Fabian Delph, who obviously whose mistake led to the United goal and who almost, who, well, who did give Lukaku a chance that could have led to a second goal? Fernandinho is not Sergio Busquets. You know that this isn't this isn't kind of the the greatest team in the history of the world. And the fact that United were just so happy to, to kind of sit there and let City do to them what they wanted to do to them really did surprise me. But m- most significantly, it seemed to upset Old Trafford. And there is a risk in the way that Mourinho and Allardyce play football that after a while it's hard to take the fans with you because it's. When, when the City fans started chan- chanting, part the bus, part the bus, Man United, you can tell that hurt Old Trafford. That, that is not something that they are used to hearing. And it's not something that the fans want to hear. And it stings because it's true. It was an accusation that was completely fair. United were sitting there saying, right, you play, and then we'll see if we get a chance on the break. And that's not enough for Manchester United. The, the one thing uh, that I can't understand about what you're saying, Rory, is that you're surprised by this. Because they have played, Manchester United, that is, have played all the other big uh, five or the, the five of the other six. What am I trying to say? This isn't even English. <laughs> the other members of the top six. That's what I'm trying to say. The teams being Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool and Tottenham. They've played all those guys at least once. And in every single game, they've had less of the ball. I think it's 37% average possession of those games. They've had less. They've had fewer shots in every single one of those games. Um, than, than you bond. I mean, it's 
This happens in every big game. There is there it is does. no plan. I mean, you know, you you were writing, you, you wrote in the um, New York Times, uh, kind of looking forward to this piece over the, uh, looking forward to this match over the weekend about the you know the kind of contrast between Guardiola and, and Mourinho. And Mourinho's skepticism towards you know philosophers and poets and you know other words that other disparaging words, sarcastic words that he uses about people who have a plan for how to play football. And Manchester United have no plan. Mourinho comes out with this stone age fatal after the game about the football gods are smiling on Manchester City and refereeing mistakes and all this kind of nonsense. But there is a plan, though. I mean, the plan is quite clearly to soak up as much pressure as possible and hit them on the break. It's, 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 it's the oldest plan in the book. It's, but hang it's, in, it's hang in there and hope to God that you get to bounce of the ball. But, you know... I, I, do you know, I, I, I think the, the, the crucial thing, and this is a point that I'm stealing completely from Miguel Delaney, so I, I make no, no pretense that it's mine, but I think if you look at, at coaches like Guardiola, certainly that like that German school of coaches, Klopp, who's not Klopp's not a tactical mastermind necessarily, but but one thing they they all do that kind of new wave that that 2010 generation of coaches rather than the 2000 generation of Mourinho and Benitez, is that they not only have structures in place for defence, but they have structures in place for attack. And it sounds counterintuitive, but Mourinho's approach to attack has always been let the attackers do what they want. Attackers, you know, attackers attack. And they kind of he, he kind of farms all that out to talent effectively. So if he can have good, good talented players, they will kind of they will make their way to goal and they will score. And he f- sees his job as coaching the defence and making sure the team's structure without the ball is is secure. And Miguel is of the view, and I'm inclined to agree with him that, that the game has moved beyond that a little bit. And what you you now need is this kind of I'm going to sound like Jonathan Wilson and really hate myself, but this like rebooted Lobanovsky kind of attacking schemes where players run in specific ways at specific times on specific cues. Mourinho doesn't do that. And it, it's, it's odd to think that he's the coach who gives his attacking players more freedom. But I don't think it is freedom. I think it's, it's almost kind of, he puts the burden of responsibility on them to say, that bit is up to you, it's nothing to do with me. And I think that's where United not having a plan becomes so stark because they are playing on the counter-attack and that's totally fine. And some of the, some of the best teams in history played on the counter-attack and... I mean, Wenger's Arsenal were initially were a counter-attacking. You know, that great team with Henri and Vieira were, were a counter-attacking team, and they were wonderful to watch. So, there's no reason why counter-attacking football is inherently kind of negative or or repulsive. But with Mourinho, the, the problem is that there is just no kind of thought in. All right, we, we're going to play on the counter-attack. How are we going to play on the counter-attack doesn't seem to occur. And I, I think to answer your first point, Ken, the reason it, it wasn't a surprise that Mourinho was negative and or that he was cautious. Because that is how he played. Uh, maybe I was just being naive and my eyes had been closed for a little bit and, and I'd not really been paying attention. But you, I think the circumstance is really important. So Mourinho goes to Anfield and shuts up shop. You think, fine, that's what he's going to do. It's not a problem. That, you know, against Liverpool, it's valid because you are going to get one chance and there's half a chance it's going to be a really good chance. So you might as well take it. And all you need is one chance to beat Liverpool, blah, blah, blah. Arsenal, it's difficult to tell. Does they, they scored two goals so early on. Does Arsenal gifted them to them that, that it... It's fair enough to then sit and soak up pressure. Spurs was a. It was a. From what I saw, it was a just kind of a bad game. But I think the the thing that the thing that struck me with City is it's a derby, and the the the, the stakes on the game were really important as well because United had thirty five minutes where they knew that if they did not score one more goal, that City had gone over the hill and the you know the title race was. I mean, City have still got to go to Spurs, Liverpool, 
and Arsenal. It's over, Rory. You don't have to qualify <laughs> they, it. <laughs> they, you know, that, that, it struck me when I was walking the dog last night. City can lose all of those games and still win the title. Yeah. That's, okay. that's, that is the, the, the reality of having an 11-point lead. So United had 35 minutes where they knew, if we don't score, this is done. And Mourinho still couldn't quite bring himself to go all out. And I think that, that really struck me, that in, with all those circumstances lined up to say, this is, if there is ever a time to attack, it is now. The, the pragmatic thing to do at that point is to attack. Just as Ferdy in the 6-1 derby game said, right, you know what, we, are, we can lose 3-1 or we can lose 6-1, but we've got to go for it. And he lost 6-1. But in those circumstances, that's what you have to do. You don't have a choice. Mourinho didn't make that choice. He still, he still seemed to be thinking, we can nick a goal here. And that's what really struck me as being... Kind of surprising the scale of the negativity. I think it was it was interesting also to listen to Guardiola after this game, to uh, where he was he was really quite explicit about the fact that he is on a mission to prove that this this uh, type of football which he's been playing, and people will say, well, you know, uh, it's fine to do that when you've got you're managing Barcelona, you've got Messi and Xavi and Iniesta, or you're managing Bayern, and there's no one else in the league, and the kit man can win the league in that league. This is, this is something that, that Mourinho said. And he's now 11 points behind Manchester City, which, which is a bigger lead, certainly, than Bayern have in Germany or than PSG have in France. You know, it's, it's, or Celtic in Scotland. <laughs> or Celtic in Scotland. So this is it's a ridiculous level of dominance. And for the first time that I can recall, very explicitly Guardiola was pointing this out after that game. He was like, I'm, the, the, you know, they said it, this wasn't possible. People are always saying this is impossible. It is possible. This is this is actually why he's here. This is why he almost maybe this is why he chose Manchester City. If he if he if he'd been doing this at Manchester United, maybe people would have said, "Well, it's Manchester United." You know, they they always win the league. But uh, he's he's quite clear that this is uh, this is about a larger thing than simply winning the title. This is about proving a point. Yeah, he um, it's one of those things. You're sitting in the press conference, you, you never quite. Everything kind of washes over you. You're desperately, you're desperately trying to think of how, right, how do I make a, make a piece work? And I've got to file this and you've got a deadline and all that. There's sometimes the significance of what managers actually say only occurs to you afterwards, uh, which is deeply irritating. But, yeah, there was no question that that, that was a really – it was a really pointed performance in the press conference from, from Guardiola. First of all, saying we, we beat them because we were better than them. That felt like a, a don't fall for any of Mourinho's kind of – sophistry, all the chicanery that, that will come whenever, whenever he loses a game. But then to say, people said that we couldn't play like this, well, yes, you can. We are playing like this and we are 11 points clear at the top of the league. It felt like, obviously he's not won the title yet, so that, that will be vindication for him to, to say, I have won the, the Premier League title doing this. There is no question that you can do this in England. But I think we, we are starting maybe to see his motivations for coming here. And you might be right for, for, for choosing City, not a club that... Because, you know, if it had been Arsenal, then maybe maybe people would have said, well, you know, this is, this is how they've always played and Vendor did this, so, so it doesn't count. And if it had been United, it would have been, well, United, you know, United do this. This is how United played under 30 and they always win the league. If it was Chelsea, maybe people would have said, well, you know, they've, they've had all this. This is, you know, they've been an elite European team for 10, 15 years now and they've done this, this and this. So maybe, you know, there'd have been excuses. The fact that he's doing it at Manchester City, I think, you start to see the appeal that, that he is proving more than anything, that his philosophy works wherever he goes. And it isn't, I don't know how much the kind of, the English kind of sense of superiority, the, you, you know, the, the rainy night in Stoke test, that you can't do this in the Premier League, it's too competitive, everything else is in Mickey Mouse League. I don't know how much that has got to him, but from what he said yesterday, he was, it seems to me he, he was deeply aware of it 
while he was at Barcelona and Bayern. And he was clearly thinking, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I think we're starting to see now Pep thinking, right, I'm vindicating myself. You were all wrong. You, you can do what I'm doing in England and have it work. And the proof of the pudding ultimately is that they are 11 points clear. And I mean, it looks now like they'll win the title by, what, 12, 15, something like that. And, you know, to, to, to destroy the lead like that, especially when it's so competitive amongst those top six, in the way that Guardiola's doing it, it should be kind of a sea change and it should change quite a lot of opinions. And it might even make people think that maybe they owe Guardiola, not an apology, but kind of, you know, a little bit more respect than they gave him initially. Yeah, that's what I'm fascinated to see now, whether or not they do drive on and start breaking records left, right and centre and maybe win by 15, 18, 20 points. Who knows, Roy? You get the feeling that Guardiola won't take the foot off the gas anyway. Listen, brilliant stuff. Great to talk to you as always. Thanks a million. Always a pleasure. He's just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player a baby. Coach! And we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby. And you cannot call him a player a baby. Do you really think if Pep had done this kind of thing with Manchester United, there would be anyone withholding praise because it was United? I would have thought City City was as... I mean, with Manchester City, he's walking into a team that have been winning league titles mm. and one that already had the ex-Barcelona executives already there. Mm. And, and, and I mean, who have... Who've, who throw unbelievable amounts of money at the team, but you know he can say, "Well, look, there wasn't really much there when I arrived," and I mean there. I mean, I think we've spoken about it before. The fact that he he clearly saw City as a blank slate. Yeah, this I, is like a, a non-club, a blank slate with a few nice little nice little bits dotted around it. You've got Aguero. We've talked about a lot in the show. Company when he's fit, David Silva. Yeah. We mentioned mentioned Barney Rona. David Silva wrote a piece about Barney. Uh, Barney Rona wrote a piece about David Silva. I'd I would love like to read, to read the other, the other way around. Yeah, yeah. One, of my, one of the finest journalists in this country is David <laughs> Silva. Silva's been around so long that I'm not actually sure what I think of him as a player. If you if you know what I mean, he's just always he's kind of part of the furniture. Yeah, but like, he was brilliant yesterday. Yeah, he is. Saturday. He was. Yesterday. I think he's 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 brilliant in the in the right sort of environment. I mean, on the one hand, you had Lukaku up front for Manchester United, and then Zlatan trundling on. What is Zlatan doing at Manchester United? Why did they re-sign Zlatan Ibrahimovic? <laughs> yeah, sure about that one. Did you, how ridiculous was it to bring him on in a game like that? What's he going to do for you? I mean, okay, actually, well, he well, did who, contribute what, what to the... Part of the what part of the, pl- of the non-plan that Mourinho had for the game was Zlatan going to stick his spoke in? You know I mean? like The fact of the matter was... All you're hoping for is blind luck and a chance, and mm. Zlatan's a pretty good striker. So, to be honest, I mean, big lad, that's not one. That, that isn't one part of the the entire thing that I would have a major. Problem I just, with. I, I, I just don't know why they're wasting money on this player when they could have somebody else. You know, the, it's 
Zlatan going to change it? Zlatan, fair play to Zlatan for coming back from this terrible injury that he had, but let's be realistic here. You know, he's not actually a lion. You know what I mean? It's not. It's. Do you want to ask him that question yourself? There's a lot like, of yeah. marketing. There's a lot of. There's a lot of marketing. I'm sure there's advantages to having Zlatan on board, in in this sense. But you know, it's just like it's cult of personality nonsense. He's not going to make an impact in a game like that. He did, I suppose, pass the ball back to one Mata, when Mata then chipped it over to Martial, who set up the chance for Lukaku. Is that really? He couldn't. Yeah. You know. I I just don't understand what he's. What he's still doing there, but just on the 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 Guardiola thing was was that he saw City as a blank slate, yeah. and I I did think it was a bit patronizing to City. I mean, I get that from rather from the Marty Pernath's book number two, Pep Guardiola: The Evolution, where he's still at Bayern. We're talking a lot of it is about why he decided to go to City, and clearly it was like, well, here's this, here's a club with no no tradition, nothing. It's as though somebody started up a completely fresh club, a canvas, uh, just a blank canvas for the implementation of our ideas. No one's even heard of these guys. <laughs> exactly, and you're like, well, actually, Man City have been around for a long time. <laughs> they do have their own sort of history and culture, but it's kind of like, well, yeah, you know, but do they have a tradition of winning titles? No. If, whereas Manchester United under Ferguson had just been this machine, um, won how many I mean Gary Gary Neville had the stats the other day you know was it 34 trophies in the last 41 years uh, and even over the last five or, or since 2011 even since 2011 when City have, City have been winning trophies United have won five and City have won five including two league titles apiece so you know who's the who's the big club and this is Neville comparing Manchester United at a low ebb the sort of post-Ferguson slump United to you know, Manchester City as, as the new the new power in the block, still five all. So there's no question which is a bigger club. Um, even if City weren't quite the you know, just the tabula de rasa that, that Guardiola seemed to think they were when he took them over. We can get a little bit of reaction now to today's Champions League draw with Kieran Canning. Kieran, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Just before we get on to that, a little uh, just looking for a little bit of clarification. Ken made the point in our last chat with Roy Smith about the scenes, the reported violent scenes after the Manchester Derby yesterday that Spanish media have been making some of the running Spanish radio in reporting of the incident. What what have they had to say? Well, it's, it's broadly been in line with what's come out uh, in England and it was all, all going to come out around at the same time last night with this clash between up to, to 20 players. I, I think where the Spanish side maybe led the news was uh, being the ones that reported that Arteta was was cut in the in the melee. And they were saying that the that bottles were thrown. Well, I think there were there were plastic bottles, but um, yeah, pretty pretty ugly scenes. And over here, at least, it's kind of gone down as if this is a uh, you know typical Mourinho with not not being able to to take the fact that he's lost and sort of uh, set off this. This uh, this melee by you know arguing with the city players in, in their own dressing room. There was a lot of the uh, the Spanish radio reports. There was a great line that said around uh, around Mourinho, not even the grass grows, um, and uh, they were pretty uh, scathing of his tactics as well as his uh, his uh, behaviour after the game. I'm just looking at an article here on Cadena Ser's website by El Comentario de Manu Carreño, who is I guess one of the uh, one of the top pundits over. Uh, over in Spain, he says, Mourinho es un provocador y un piromano. What's he talking about here? Yeah, well, basically, the, he's, as you say, he's a provocateur, and <laughs> if you take him to his word, he's describing him as an arsonist. <laughs> <laughs> so he yeah, is someone, someone that likes to 
lights the fires. Certainly, there's a there's a great Spanish word over here as well. It's called the uh, morbo, which is kind of basically like bad bloods between, normally between you know rival clubs or or rival you know players, managers, fans, and and Mourinho has always been sort of uh, classed as being the, the king of this, you know, king of morbo, and that he's he sets off. I mean, I think we even saw in the um, in the days before the derby, you know, setting. Uh, trying to, to set the tone with complaining that the city players go down with a gust of wind, and then criticising Guardiola as um, you know wearing political symbols and claiming he wouldn't get away with with the same thing. And it's you know it's classic Mourinho's distraction away from the fact that uh, that his team lost the game and and were outclassed. And that has been you know as much as behaviour has been criticised over here. Um, it's very much um, they're not surprised. They're not surprised at the way he he acted, and they're certainly not surprised at the way that he set United up yesterday. Well, we'll see what happens when he brings Manchester United to Seville for the for their knockout game in the Champions League. Barcelona drawn against Chelsea, Real Madrid drawn against PSG. So no easy, no gimmies there for the Spanish teams. Is there a prospect here of all Spanish sides getting knocked out in the next round? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a pretty good chance of that. I mean, it'd be, it would be the first time in. In twelve years, that there would be no Spanish team in the in the quarterfinals, which would be incredible when you think of the dominance that that Spanish football's had in the Champions League over the past uh, few seasons. You know, Madrid's winning through the last four, Barca winning the one that that Madrid didn't win. Um, I think, especially having watched Sevilla get absolutely destroyed at the Bernabeu on on Saturday, I'd be very surprised if if United weren't able to to take care of them. Over the two legs, I think even the two games we saw them against Liverpool, Liverpool kind of let them off the hook um, both times. So, so United should be pretty confident they're going through. And then the two sort of standout ties of the round, maybe with uh, with UVB and Spurs, are obviously Madrid, PSG, and and Barca, Chelsea, and both of them, I think, are pretty um, pretty fifty fifty. Obviously, um, Barca and PSG will have the advantage of having the the second leg. At home, I think Barca have, t- have reacted to the draw, even though they were they were group winners, have reacted to the draw um, more calmly than than Madrid in the sense that they knew there was a great chance they were going to get they were going to get Chelsea, um, and obviously they're they're comforted by having that second leg at home. Whereas for Madrid, <clears throat> you know, this has really been um, not not a surprise, but it's you know it's it's made the big big news here. We've seen, for example, Emilio Butragueño. Quite interestingly, in his uh, the usual sort of post-draw reaction, where quite normally the quotes are quite bland, but he he almost seemed to be insinuating that it was a great shame for the competition that this game has to be played in the in the last sixteen, and that one of these two sides has to go out. When you know that's you know that's why you have to to win your group if you want to avoid playing teams like like PSG. Um, and from the other side, obviously. Um, Working over here, but working for for a French company in in the main, um, you know, there's there's real interest into will PSG have the mentality, will they have the bottle to go and and beat Real Madrid a year on <clears throat> from that you know collapse at the at the at the camp now and and all the money that's been spent in the meantime. Do you think Madrid are scared of of Paris? Like, I mean, you know, they sh- they shouldn't be. If it, uh, I mean. Uh... I can sort of see what Butcher Green is talking about, but you know, is, is nobody at Madrid thinking, yeah, you know, this would be good, uh, good to play one of the top teams and sort of put them back in their box and remind everybody that we Real Madrid tower over Paris Saint Germain, and you know, they could do this for another thirty years and they still wouldn't be able to catch up with us. And yeah, we're really looking forward to it. 
think you can see it from that side. And Butch Regan also said, you know, we can't forget this team's won two Champions Leagues back to back. Um, but I also find that it's you know it's always uh, a bit of a cliche, and a cliche I think is completely wrong when people say, oh, you know, you have to beat the best team. if you want to win it, you're going to have to beat the best teams. Well, two years ago, uh, Madrid got through without you know, apart from playing Atletico in the final they played Roma in the last 16 Wolfsburg in the quarterfinals and Manchester City that barely showed up in the semi-finals and then beat Atletico in penalties so <laughs> it's not always necessary to to go through all the hardest teams to to get to the final or or, or to win it um, and I think there is a sense that Madrid might get uh might get shown up in terms of what they could have had particularly if Mbappe has has a great tie he was the one that that Real Madrid thought they had this summer that they really sort of um, planned their, their summer around and ended up um, making a mess of it because they let Alvaro Morato go, thinking they were making plenty of money to then go and go and spend it on Mbappe and PSG both in a, in a transfer fee. I know it's a loan to start off with, but really it's you know 180 million transfer fee plus the wages they were offering Mbappe blew them out the water. And if PSG did win it. And did beat them, then it could be a bit of a, a changing, changing of the guard in, in European football with this Madrid team that's been so successful, but now has you know quite a few players that are that are getting on. Kieran Canning, absolutely brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, guys. See if you don't get this out at Motherwell, you're away, mate. Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean, it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just so what's up, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight, you don't deserve the fans. What's it, your fans? You just need to fucking work, you wouldn't it? You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grab! Okay, we'll let you go and get about the rest of your business now. I think we've kept you for long enough. Thanks so much, as always, for listening to today's football podcast. If you haven't yet found the Christmas present for the special person in your life, and by that I mean you, go on to secondcaptains.com and have a look at our brand new range of World Service t-shirts. If you're a signed-up member of the World Service, don't forget, you're entitled to a nice little 10% discount. Thanks very much, Ken. Thanks very much, Murph. Thank you very Thank much, you Alan. Thank you, Thank so you much. Ken. We'll chat to you during the week. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.